and welcome to a very special podcast episode to celebrate International Day of Women and Girls in Science. I'm your host, Charlotte Reno. In 2015, the United Nations General Assembly declared the 11th of February as the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. Both science and gender equality are vital for the achievement of the UN's internationally agreed sustainable development goals. However, despite decades of effort to inspire and engage women and girls in science, some continue to be excluded from fully participating. The 11th of February has therefore become a crucial day of observance to help women and girls across the globe to achieve full and equal access to STEM participation and empower them to unlock their full potential. Today, we will be speaking to four different women at Notch about their STEM background and what got them interested in science and how we can work together to create more equal opportunities for women in this space. Joining me today, we have Gabby Walker, Kate Whelan, Liz Kerrigan and Tilly Green. Would you all like to start by introducing yourself, your role at Notch and telling me a little bit about your STEM background? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Gabby. I'm one of the content managers at Notch. Um, and before working at Notch, my background was in zoology. So I did a um, BSc in zoology at the University of Sheffield. And then I did a master's in science communication also at the University of Sheffield. So I'm Kate Whelan. Um, I'm the COO at Notch and one of the founders. We set up the company in early 2011 in Manchester. So we've been going for 11 years now. Um, and in terms of my STEM background, I uh, did my PhD um, at Cambridge University at the Centre for Brain Repair, working on spinal cord injury. Um, and then I carried on doing some postdoctoral research before I moved into science communications and marketing for life science companies. So um, my name is Liz Kerrigan and my role at Notch is a senior scientific writer. And my background is sort of a mixed bag, but um, I always enjoyed science and sort of went into the environmental science route in university, mostly because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor um, and that was about it. So I learned through those sort of introductory courses that I was really interested in biology and plants and specifically um, sort of marine sciences. But my undergrad didn't actually have a marine sciences program, but we did have one professor who had a background in oceanography. And through her mentorship, I actually ended up applying for a master's degree and then going on to do um, a master's in chemical oceanography. I'm Tilly. I am currently studying biology with science and society at the University of Manchester. And as part of that, I'm doing a year in industry at Notch. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is what in particular got you interested in science and or any other STEM subjects? How I wound up studying biology is probably a bit of a typical answer for a lot of biology students, but I loved watching David Attenborough. Um, I still love watching David Attenborough, anything nature, documentaries. Um, and also my granddad was very knowledgeable about um, natural history and he, especially birds and, but also insects and plants and things. And I remember him showing me various frogs and newts in his garden. And so I think, yeah, somehow some combination between my granddad and David Attenborough was what really inspired me to pursue science. 
Amazing, thank you. And what about you, Gabby? So um, I think growing up, I uh, watched <laughs> watched a lot of TV, um, but I enjoyed, I really enjoyed documentaries or programs that were about nature and science. Um, so one of my favorite programs growing up was The Really Wild Show, if anyone's heard of that. Uh, it had Steve Backshall in back in the day. Um, it was about animals and sort of like in their environment, their habitats, what their behaviors were. And I think I enjoyed that kind of because I like animals, but also like I enjoyed learning about the science behind it as well. Um, so I think that led me to having kind of an interest in science and I guess specifically biology um, at school. And that kind of continued, you know, with more like David Attenborough documentaries and that sort of thing um, in my spare time. Um, but I also think that I was probably very lucky growing up that I never really faced any barriers in getting into science or STEM subjects. Um, you know, like I always had support from everyone around me to pursue those things um, that I never sort of experienced anyone saying, you know, these subjects are typically like a male field or anything like that. So that's not an idea that I ever had in my head, I think. Um, so for me, it was just quite an obvious um, direction to take. It was something I enjoyed and was reasonably good at, so I pursued it. Wonderful, thank you. I think um, TV's played a big role in a lot of our experiences. I know for me, it was uh, a show called Brainiac that I used to love as a kid because I was just like, wow, that's so cool. They just get to like explode things or like make reactions happen. So it's a great, great intro. And Liz? Yeah, so it kind of, I guess, folds into um, the marine sciences area, but I was really lucky to grow up in a coastal city in um, on the east coast of Canada, where we just got to interact and be around the ocean a lot, whether it was going to the beach, um, a lot of our industry came from the ocean, so I was always sort of intimately aware and loved the water. Um, but when I was about eight, I got to go to a marine biology summer camp, um, where we got to dissect sea stars and we got to do whale watching tours and go to the Marine Sciences Center that was sort of um, down the road from where I grew up. And it was just really, really cool and sort of fostered that like love of applied sciences, especially. So getting to do really practical things um, and then just sort of through school, really great teachers um, getting sort of involved in STEM subjects throughout the way. My dad's an engineer, so we lived in a very sort of math, science-y household. Um, but just that interest as a kid that I was sort of able to follow through with as an adult is really what got me interested and got me hooked eventually. That's amazing. That's a really cool background to, to have. Um, what about you, Kate? I was actually pretty late to this party. Um, I grew up in a heavily arts, language and music kind of focused household and environment. And STEM subjects in school, they really didn't interest me that much until I was 16. So luckily, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And I kept my options open and, and chose A-level subjects of, you know, across science and arts. Um, and then as soon as I started A-level sciences, everything totally changed. There was one day when I was in school, I remember really clearly my first day, sorry, my first lesson um, about nerve cells in biology. And it was like a whole new part of my brain had come to life. I'd, I'd known nothing about this previously. And I just rushed home to tell everyone about how amazing neuroscience was. And it just went on from there and I never looked back. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I had a similar kind of sort of late introduction to it. Um, it wasn't until college for me that I decided it was what I wanted to do. So it's nice to hear I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Great. Um, I think it's lovely to hear that there's a range of answers here. Moving on from things that sparked your interest onto people, which woman in STEM inspires you and why? So I wanted to say Frances H. Arnold. She's an American engineer. She pioneered a method called directed evolution of enzymes in the 1990s. Um, and what she does is she developed a method that really uses the natural powers of evolution to create new enzymes that can be screened um, for whatever desired factors you need. And it was really a breakthrough compared to what people were trying to do at the time. Um, all the other scientists were really trying to create better enzymes using protein engineering and rational design approaches, but they were a lot of hard work. It took a very, very long time and not really that effective. And Francis Arnold's approach was really, really successful. And what it's allowed as a result of that is for enzymes to be used now uh, in industrial scale reactions. So biocatalysis is now widely used in a lot of reactions instead of traditional chemocatalysis in fields like um, manufacturing drugs, among other things. And this has massively changed these fields, which um, you know in the past would create a lot of hazardous waste products, would need really, really like, difficult operating conditions and so on. Um, and and it's, uh, so now it, biocatalysis means you have much cleaner less hazardous processes with much better yields as well um, and they use less energy so um, it's really for the environment as well as costs and so on it's, it's fantastic and makes a much safer um, workplace as well for a lot of people but what I really loved about about this is that the way that she took a much bigger picture approach and she really focused on what was the job to be done um, and that resulted in a broad solution that you can use in loads of critical industries instead of just like laboratory engineering a single enzyme to optimise one process. And that's why I wanted to pick her. There's a woman called Kathleen Drew Baker, who I think has a really amazing story. Um, she's not very well known um, in the UK, but I learned about her in one of my first lectures at university. Um, and she was a botanist, um, a lecturer and researcher at the University of Manchester. And her sort of major discovery was that she found out that what was once thought to have been two separate species of seaweed was actually one species of seaweed, but at different stages of its life cycle. Um, and she published this in Nature in 1949. It might not seem that major of a sort of breakthrough, but um, meanwhile in Japan, they use seaweed or they call it nori to make sushi. And at the time, they were actually really struggling to grow it commercially because um, as a crop, it was really unpredictable. Um, but a Japanese marine biologist read about Kathleen Drew Baker's work and applied the knowledge and basically managed to revive the seaweed industry and revive sushi as we know it today. And she's a bit of a hero in Japan and they celebrate her every day on April 14th and they call her the mother of the sea. Um, and sadly she died before she sort of learned about what an impact her research had had for a whole nation. So I think that's quite an amazing story and I find her quite inspirational. So um, I think there's a lot of different inspiring um, scientists and women in STEM that everyone should be able to look up to. Um, but the person I want to talk about is 
Dr. Nicola Hemmings. Um, so she is someone that I worked with at the University of Sheffield, and I actually met her um, on my first visit to the University of Sheffield. She was doing a sort of um, introductory, like welcome talks for prospective students. And we did sort of a like workshop activity um, kind of around her research, which focuses on um, animal reproduction and how it's evolved um, and sort of the different um, processes and like cells involved with that. So she does a lot of research into um, like sperm and egg cells, uh, which is something she told us about in a lot of great detail. Um, little 18 year olds on their first day visiting a uni, which was very interesting. Um, but I was also lucky enough to work with her again um, during my master's. So she was my dissertation supervisor. Um, so in addition to her really interesting and really important research into animal reproduction, um, she also has a lot of experience and does a lot of work in um, science outreach and science communication. So I worked with her um, on my master's project, um, which was around using um, sort of unconventional means of communicating science. And she was hugely enthusiastic and really supportive. Um, and yeah, I just found that really inspiring that she had such a impressive sort of academic um, career, but also was really keen to explore um, less traditional approaches. When I was thinking about like who inspired me in the past and why I got to where I am and how I sort of, you know, how I continued through doing science, the biggest sort of, I guess, person or people that kept coming to my mind were sort of the, the women who I interacted with along the way. So whether that was, you know, elementary or primary school teachers who really fostered a love of math or science or um, the high school teachers who taught me biology and just made it so interesting and exciting, the professors who were great role models and, you know, wrote support letters of support and help me get into programs, the professors who I interacted with during my master's, the postdocs, PhD students, master's students who I interacted with during my master's and when I was working as a technician as well. Um, and really, I think it's just sort of that idea of all the people around me that inspired me a lot more than a almost celebrity figure who I couldn't really relate to. So I think it was mostly just, yeah, like the, the women in science all around me, which is again, sort of a non-answer, but like for me, it was definitely the truest. And why do you think it's important to encourage women and girls to get involved with science and other STEM subjects, either as a hobby, as a job or both? Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot too, and it does kind of, I think it really depends on your upbringing and sort of, again, like this idea of teachers and role models and those sorts of things. Because interestingly, I never sort of felt that like doing STEM subjects was weird, which I do think happens. Like definitely there's lots of girls out there who are in math class and just don't feel like they should be there or doing physics and don't feel like they should be there. And I was really sort of blessed with not feeling that. And I think that's a big reason why I am where I am because I had nothing sort of, none of that pressure to push me down. So I think the biggest, like deep down in my gut reaction is that like, of course women and girls should be in science because 
why not? It's super cool and it's awesome. Um, but I think in terms of making sure that in those environments where they do get bogged down, it's about um, sort of removing any sort of gender bias. I, like I've even seen it, I did more biology subjects and at university, I'm not sure if you found the same if you're ever in biology courses, but there was a lot of girls. Like it was very heavily female dominated um, over boys. And it was sort of this thing that like, oh, well, girls can do biology and guys can do physics. So even within STEM subjects and like STEM as a whole, I think we do have this gender bias as well. Um, and I think that that's the biggest thing that like, we need to encourage people, even if you don't feel that you're like in the right place, you are, if you enjoy it, if you think it's really interesting, like stay here and like get involved and like just, just do it because there's no reason why you can't. I think in a lot of countries, STEM subjects are still dominated by males and this can be quite off-putting to teenagers. So we were saying earlier that in school, you know, you and I both had the experience that we didn't really get into STEM subjects. Um, it was only when you found something that really triggered your interest that you got into it. Uh, when I started my A-level physics class, I was really shocked. I was the only girl in a class of boys. And this was a, you know, a pretty big mixed um, um, secondary school. And, and I'd never seen any kind of imbalance in gender in any of the classes prior to that. And that was that made the class quite challenging for me. I mean, the boys were perfectly OK with it. And I had an amazing um, teacher who and she was female in the, uh, teaching physics and she said she made physics like really beautifully simple as well and that was pretty made a lot of difference but um, it, it would have been easier for me if there'd been more girls doing physics and um, it, it's uh, I think that's an example of, of why it's important that there shouldn't be barriers and it's not necessarily that girls should be doing STEM subjects but there shouldn't be any gender related barriers in the first place so that everyone can discover what they're interested in and not be put off doing it in the first place. I think it's so important. Um, I guess kind of for the same reasons that diversity and inclusion and representation for everyone is so important. Um, I think, and in particular in science, because I kind of think of scientists and engineers as problem solvers and they solve problems for, for people that people are facing. And if we're gonna solve problems for everyone, then I think that the people that are doing that need to represent everyone. And so if we're going to solve problems for women, we need to have women in those rooms. I think that's quite clear by like the um, the well documented kind of gender gap in medicine and medical research. And that for a long time, women's health was viewed as a niche, which is kind of crazy when you think that we're half of the population. And so I think it's so important to get women into those rooms and not just into those rooms, but also in positions to make decisions. And one of the amazing ways that we can do that is by teaching girls that this is a space that they can get into and that they should they should occupy. I, I think this is kind of a difficult question to answer, maybe because from my sort of like idealistic brain, my immediate answer is like, why not? Why, why should they not be involved? Like there's, you know, of course they should be involved. Um, but to kind of try and put it into words and maybe think of some better reasons than that, 
um, I guess from like a, a practical point of view, um, STEM related topics are literally everywhere and they affect our daily lives in so many ways. So from that point of view, I think it's really important that everyone in the world um, is given the chance to learn about them and access them and understand them because it's important to be able to understand what's going on around you. And I think that's something that will probably continue to be important, you know, as like science and technology become increasing parts of our everyday lives. Um, but I also think in kind of a future facing kind of way that lots of STEM topics are going to be really important in solving kind of the challenges that we face in the future. And they're going to require a lot of people, they're going to require a lot of brains to come together and work on them. Um, so, you know, people of all kinds should be represented in that field. And the more smart people we can get involved, um, the better. And of course, I obviously think that that includes women. So from that kind of point of view, I guess that's the sort of practical reason why if, if you know, someone needed a justification. Um, but then I guess to go back to my more like ingrained idealistic point of view, I there there's no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, if women and girls like science or they have an interest in it, you know, even if they don't know if they're good at it yet, um, they shouldn't have to face any barriers to be able to engage with it, um, you know, either just for their own enjoyment as a hobby or for kind of the wider gain of the scientific community. Um, but I guess to add on to that, I don't, I don't want that to come across as me ignoring the fact that there are lots of issues um, and challenges that women and girls can face in even being able to access STEM subjects to begin with. Um, I just, you know, in an ideal world, there wouldn't be any of those barriers. Um, so women could be involved if they chose to be. So speaking of the importance of women in this field, do you know of or have you ever been involved with any STEM initiatives that encourage women and girls into STEM subjects? Yeah, so I had to think about this too. And I I think I've been involved in things in the past um, that are sort of um, workshops or teaching um, and getting sort of the youth involved, never actually um, women or girls. But it kind of falls into that category of I think it's really important not just to get girls involved, but to keep like teenagers and women involved as well. There's a Twitter and like a, a program called Women in Ocean Sciences that I follow, but just sort of um, that visibility and programs like that that really showcase um, early career researchers, professors, people in an actual position. Because I found, and I've noticed this with my friends, I've got a number of friends who did biology degrees and then went to business or went to teaching or ended up going to nursing versus staying in the academic system. Because the academic system itself can be a bit more gender biased and a bit more difficult to stay in. So I think really showcasing, hey, yeah, you have a degree. Now here's actually something you can do with it. And we're showcasing all the amazing things that are out there and all the amazing women who are doing all this stuff um, to basically just keep to keep girls and women from dropping out of this system. Because I do think that um, we've come a long way in making sure that girls are like learning a lot about STEM, being felt more like they feel more comfortable joining in. 
But if there aren't positions for them to take when they actually get to look for a job, then they're not going to stay here. So I think like programs like that um, and just sort of visibility and programs for um, sort of 20 plus past your undergrad early career researchers are um, important to maintain the momentum that I think we have in embracing STEM in younger girls. I haven't been involved in any personally. Um, I think I was very lucky to go to a school where I had a great science department and was always very encouraged. And I never thought that science wasn't something that I could get into if I wanted to. Um, but I have learned about a scheme near me and where I grew up is near Bletchley Park, which is um, famous for being the place that Alan Turing and his like team of code breakers um, cracked the Enigma code in World War II. And next month, and I think every year, they run a girls in computing event where they encourage girls to get into computing and coding. And I think that's great because even for STEM, computing and coding is incredibly male dominated. Um, and I'm in awe of any girls and women that can code. So yeah, I think that's a great scheme. I wish there'd been more when I was at school because of the reasons we just talked about. But actually, I think these days it's a lot better. I think a lot of um, aspects of education are pretty gender neutral or people are much more conscious and they try to make things more gender neutral. I mean, when I was at school, um, we still, maybe this is a bit of a going off point, but there was a, we actually had girls would do sewing while boys played football outside. Can you believe that? That would never happen now. Um, now, now a lot of women actually dominate some STEM subjects like biological sciences are dominated by women um, in some countries, which is quite a change compared with 50 years ago. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of women st still don't really progress very far in their careers in STEM careers, and especially in academia. And part of that's due to um, in academia, there's a lot of um, very short term funding for uh, research positions. So in, and if you can carry on through that until you get tenure, then then you'll be OK. But for a lot of women who are, they can't both be applying constantly for grants to the next for the next postdoctoral position and also be bringing up a family. And so it's not a very family friendly environment if, if women do want to go that way. No, I agree with what you were saying about um, there seems some sort of inequalities for women, especially in academia because of tenure. And um, I feel like a lot of women think they have to make a choice whether they want to maybe have a family or pursue their career, because at the moment it feels difficult to do both. Um, and I really hope that in the future that's something we can all work towards to make more equal. Well, thank you very much to Tilly, Liz, Kate and Gabby for joining me today to discuss this important day and to celebrate all the women in science who inspire us. Be sure to head on over to our Twitter page at SciPodNet to let us know which woman in STEM inspires you. And also remember to give us a follow if you want to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about our new podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>